Hey guys, it's Rachel Silver Cohen from Unpolished Therapy. Have you ever gotten fired by a doctor or have you fired a doctor yourself? If you have, this is an episode for you. Dr. Voga and I are breaking down all the wreckage on what goes on in doctor's offices, the good, the bad, and the unpolished. Listen up. What do you get when the audacious and the therapist collide? A crash course in unpolished therapy. Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Voca aren't afraid to spin out of control, tackling all the tough talk. Their weekly sesh meets at the corner of Audacity and Advice, where their wheels and yours get turned upside down. Hey everyone, it's Rachel Silver Cohen. You know what that means. It's Wednesday and it's another episode where we have ditched the couch, grabbed the mics. We are breaking down all the unpolished wreckage on the corner of Audacity and Advice. I'm here with the one and only DB, Dr. Boga. Good morning, Dr. Boga. Good morning, Rach. How are you doing today? Good. Welcome to Unpolished Therapy. Oh, it is going to be unpolished today. (laughs) I'm just forewarning our listeners. Oh my God. It it. is as unpolished as it, well, I wouldn't say it's as unpolished as it comes because that could be very, very scary, but this is not going to be the episode where Dr. Boca is going to be polished. I can assure you of that. That's what I love about Unpolished Therapy because you know how sometimes you always say like, are we the smartest people in the room or the dumbest? people in the room, right? Like sometimes we, as the, I guess, you know, holding the mics, we're the ones who are keeping everything in order here, right? I mean, it's our show, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't come without confusion or controversy or whatever. And like, I guess just because like you're the doctor in the room doesn't mean that you haven't had times where you're unhinged or unpolished in this case. And totally, totally. Same with me. And, you know, I, clearly I'm not the doctor in the room, but there are times where like you think you're doing things on the up and up and you're being professional or doing things by the book. And somehow it just doesn't pay pan out that way. And I'm sure we both could come up with like a zillion scenarios, but for whatever reason, I don't know. I was thinking about this recently. A while back, I had a doctor's appointment and the way that the doctor's office ran, right? Mm -hmm. It was anything but professional. It just wasn't panning out. And like, you think like, well, it's a doctor's office or they should be professional and organized and by the book and didn't they take the Hippocratic oath and so on and so forth. And it's just like everything went wrong from start to finish. You end up like firing the doctor. And then I was thinking about like, have you ever had a scenario where the doctor (laughs) has actually fired you? Okay. So I can't even believe that you are bringing this up because this is why I'd be so unhinged today is for medical purposes. So I am so frustrated. And yes, yes, that I have been fired. Yes, I have fired. And yes, what I wanted to say when you were talking about like you go in and it's so unprofessional. I'm like, hello, do you know healthcare in South Florida? Like a Hippocratic oath, like who cares about the Hippocratic oath, right? You're lucky. <laughs> right. You're lucky. Hypocrisy of the Hippocratic oath. Exactly. You're lucky. And look, I'm in the healthcare world. So like I'm saying this and I respect my colleagues. So please, if my colleagues are listening, laugh along with us here. But we've all been in this situation. But yes, I have fired many doctors. But quite recently, many more are firing me. So what does that mean? Walk us through that. Because I mean, I have a few examples of me firing professionals and professionals as defined by doctors, because I just felt like they were so unprofessional. And we can get to that. But I want to know, you have been fired by a doctor? I have. And I say that tongue in cheek, like only once was it like a fire, like under no like hearing your medical records and, and like yourself worse, out the door. Worse than that. And I'm like embarrassed by the whole situation. And in all fairness to me, in all fairness to me, it was not me. Okay. It's not you. It's me. No, no, no. It was the doctor, but Uh it was also my husband. Okay. So So we're throwing him under the bus. We're going to throw him under the bus. I'm sorry to my husband. So this was a while back. We were dealing with my son with some orthopedic issues, right? And we took him to a 
what I thought was a well-respected orthopedist, pediatric, I guess. I don't know if they do adult or not. So I'm trying to, you know, maintain their innocence here. I took them for the consult and they were basically saying no martial arts for my kid, but they weren't telling me what actually was going on. So I love when they give you recommendations or they tell you what you can't do, but they don't actually tell you what's the underlying problem, how are we going to treat it, and what is the prognosis? Okay. So my husband was away at the time, and I remember calling my husband after the appointment, and he was like, that's the biggest crock of BS I've ever heard. So he can't do this, but he's not telling us what's wrong. So like, what's the rationale for why he can't do this? And you know, I tend to have white jacket syndrome. Thank you, white coat, white jacket. Maybe it's a straight jacket that I need. (laughs) White bolero. (laughs) White fur. (laughs) Maybe like a fur, you know. Anyway, so I called him and he's like, this is ridiculous. Give me the number of the doctor. So I was like, okay, as long as I'm out of it, you know, my husband is, an expert in dealing with professionals. And this is what he does all day. He works with very high-end people and and deals with very difficult conversations. So have at it, sweetheart. You're great at it. Go for it. So he calls and he calls me back fuming, like fuming. (laughs) Find another doctor. (laughs) No, it was worse than that, Rach. Like, So I'm like, what could have happened? Like I was there. He said, I asked to talk to the doctor and they gave me a run for the money. Like I'm not entitled to talk to the doctor. And I said, that's ridiculous. Your name is on all the releases. You're the parent. You can talk to whomever you want. And so he's like, okay. So my husband is wonderful in these situations, but like he's the worst when it comes to customer service representatives. Like we hear him screaming across the house, get me your manager, get me your superior, your supervisor. I want to talk to a human being. Oh my God, he does does that all the time. I want to talk to a human (laughs) being now. And I mean, he's throwing things. Okay, so fast forward. Come over and just like be a fly in the wall when he's calling customer service. Oh, it is is one of those things that if you don't have the bottle of wine, you yeah. you may just have utter heart attack. And I feel for these customer service people. Anyway, so I'm like, what could have possibly happened? So eventually, I guess the doctor got on the phone and they went at it because my husband was basically saying, how can you tell me that he can't do martial arts when you are not telling me what the problem is? Is it arthritis? Is it there's a hip dysplasia? Is it that he has to rest? Like what? It, and the guy was like, don't speak to me this way. And my husband's like, I am just talking to you. Why can you not defend what it is that you're saying? So I was not privy to the rest of this conversation. But let me just say, Rach, it went so sour so quickly that I can't even believe. A couple of days later, I I don't remember if my husband was in town or out of town. I think he was home. And I hand him a letter that we received from the doctor's office. And not only was it a, here are your records, it was a de- a goodbye C- letter. And oh, desist desist letter. <laughs> oh my and God. I was I like, I thought they only do that like in the movies. Yeah. Well, so did we. And apparently my husband's like, and that set him off like Either. to, I mean, it was like turbocharged. Well, it's like, you can't fire me because I'm firing, I'm firing you. you. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it was brutal. I mean, to hear him, if that's how he is with customer service, when he received this, he was like, does this person think he is? He can't do that. I have a right. I didn't do anything. Goes, And so he tried to call the guy just to have a conversation and apologize for whatever this person misinterpreted. And, and I was saying, look, there's other pediatric doctors out there. Like, what are you doing? I said, I think though, when all is said and done, we are not going back to him. You're going to play nice. I'm going to be the one who's going to have future conversations if we need to get the medical records. And you go on your way and leave the doctor stuff to me. And that's what happened. We never heard from them again. We got the medical records. That was it. And I can't show my face anywhere around there. Wow. Yeah. So that was like the worst of the fires. But again, I'm going to say it wasn't me, but I maybe didn't ask the right questions when I was there that got us started on this track. But I do support my husband in that situation. Like I believe as a, as a parent of a child or as a patient, we have the right 
to ask the questions, advocate for what our needs are. And if we don't understand, they need to be able to explain it to us and stand by whatever it is that they're saying. And so just because we have questions, if we're not advocating for ourselves, nobody else is, and they're not, nor am I. And I tell my patients this all the time. I am not the expert of your life. We have to work in this together. We have to dig together. We have to walk the journey together because I could be totally wrong sometimes. And I'll stand by that and acknowledge it when I am. And I wish some of these other doctors would. Well, this is a good time to just remind the listeners since Dr. Brooke is sitting here saying that she is not the expert on anybody's life (laughs) and that she does make mistakes. We want to just sort of put that blanket statement out there that this is not real therapy and protect the license. And I love that too, doctor, because you're basically saying I may get it wrong. Like my blanket statement is that I'm human and I'm going to do the best I can, but you have to take some responsibility too. And that's the piece with some of these doctors. I know certain professions within the medical field have different reputations, Mm -hmm. right? That like some of them, like they think that playing God and that's maybe society has a hand in what those stereotypes are. But if you are a doctor and you're in this field, because again, under that Hippocratic oath, you're making the plea here that you're putting the life of someone else in your hands and you're going to do everything in your power to see that through appropriately. I mean, I don't know exactly what the Hippocratic Oath says, but I'm guessing- Do no harm. Something (laughs) in that guise, like don't be an asshole, right? And treat your patients with kindness and respect and do the best you can. And I've had a lot of doctors where they just were- assholes. I mean, yes. legitimate assholes. I, I mean, this goes back a while. You know how sometimes like when you're younger or you're in sort of like that, I don't want to say purgatory state, but like limbo mm-hmm. where like you're not really a full-blown adult, but you're not a kid who goes to a pediatrician anymore. And you're, right, you're in your like, early twenties. Yeah, and like, I guess your parents have sort of been like, well, here's your passport. Here's your social security card. <laughs> here's your birth certificate. Figure it like, out. Good luck. Yep. Right. And like kind of figure it out. So those are some of the things you sort of have to figure out on your own, right? You have your first job. So maybe you have like health insurance on your mm-hmm. own, right? And like now you get like a little pamphlet or a booklet in the mail with like a list of doctors and it's sort yep. of like pin the tail on the donkey, right? Totally. And like, so now you're kind of picking and choosing doctors, right? And so for me, Back in the day, I didn't really have a doctor and I didn't feel good. And actually, I felt worse than just not feeling good. If I didn't feel good, like I can suck it up and, you know, I have tough skin and I'll just kind of muddle through. But I was sick and I needed to be seen by a healthcare professional. And I want to almost say that this was before the time of the whole Med Express or urgent care, where like you can sort of walk yourself in somewhere and, you know, a stranger can now, you know, prescribe you medication based on the nothing little bit of knowledge <laughs> that you write down on a piece of paper. And they're like, yeah, here you go. So the long and the short is that I went to a friend of mine's brother who was a doctor, just a, I guess a regular general physician. And I was so traumatized by the experience I had because When I tell you I was sick as a dog, I was sick as a dog. Then they throw you into a cage. And by cage, I mean like a room where they shut the door and like, God forbid you should open it. Right. And it's so cold and you're like in one of those gowns or something and you're shaking and they don't care that they're never coming to- They're just like, they're making you wait. They're making you wait. And you know, if you know nothing about me, you do know that patience is not one of my virtues, right? And now <laughs> I'm sick and I don't feel good. And it took all of the strength and energy that I didn't have to even get to the doctor's office in the first place. And not to mention, I'm now a friend of the doctor's mm-hmm. family member. So like you would think a little bit of VIP would not kill you anyone. Mm-hmm. So now I'm locked in this patient room. And I'm waiting and I'm waiting. I mean, like death has come over me and I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting. Like, what are we waiting for? The morgue to come in to take my dead body out? And you crack open the door because you're claustrophobic and like HIPAA. Like, what do you think I'm going to share here? How long you're making me wait? And I don't even know what I'm doing with my... I was so angry and upset. And you know, when you're sick, it just makes everything worse. Finally, the doctor strolls in like he is Rico Suave and like, you know, he's doing me a favor now by seeing me and it just rubs me the wrong way. I've kind of blocked out exactly what happened, but I don't think I'm being sarcastic or facetious when I say that, like, I basically told the guy to go fuck himself. Like, who the hell are you and what kind of practice are you running here? 
I'm sorry that you had that experience. And it gets complicated because it's a friend, right? Mm -hmm. So I had a very similar experience with a dentist. And to this Mm -hmm. day, I am traumatized by dentists. (laughs) I was in my 20s and I was living with my boyfriend at the time and I had an abscess. And anyone who's ever had an abscess knows that that is one of the most painful things. I've never had kidney stones, so I imagine that trumps an abscess. But there's very little that trumps abscess or you know, because you can't eat, you can't drink. It hurts like a mofo. So I called my father. My father had a dentist that was a very, very good friend and rode motorcycles with him. And coincidentally enough, it was my boyfriend's dentist too. So okay. it got two like big reviews. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I get I get an appointment. There, I walk in. He's like, oh, it's so good to see you. Like we are besties, right? And I said to him, I go, I'm in terrible pain. Please, please, please be gentle. So what does he do? And I am not exaggerating. I don't tell stories as well as you, but this is not an exaggeration. He literally takes his finger. He goes to my gum and he rubs it. I wish you guys, our listeners could see this. He rubs it up and down, like back and forth, back and forth, right over the abscess. I am screaming in pain. And he turns to me and he goes, would you shut up? I was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me. Tears (laughs) rolling down my face. White coat syndrome, right? Uh I'm Uh not going to talk back to the doctor, right? right? I'm 20-something years old, and you're my dad's friend. Right, right. I totally can't do that. And he was so nasty for the 40 minutes that I was in his office. I got in the car, and I don't even think we had cell phones. Maybe we just had cell phones. So I probably waited till I got home. Tears pouring down my face. I heard my dad's voice on the other line when I called him. And I broke down. I go, that is so hard. And my dad, like his heart broke because it was his recommendation, right? And I could never look at the guy again. Meanwhile, no, I, I shouldn't say this because they might be listening and I'm sorry, I've matured. I'm sure you've matured. You've retired. So please hear this. If anybody's listening, he did one of the eulogies at my dance funeral. And I was traumatized. He spoke very nicely, but I was traumatized. I just wonder though, as you're saying, like it's a friend of the family and highly recommended and so on and so forth. And then the situation that happened to me where it was my friend's brother who, who was the doctor. I wonder if on like an unconscious level, that the opposite happens, that because it's family or friends or Mm -hmm. an extension of, like, do you think it gives these doctors like a pass where they feel as though you can just like knock them around or whatnot? You know, my dad listens to this and ironically, my dad is a dentist and obviously he was my dentist growing up and everyone would say such amazing things about my dad. He's so gentle and he's this and he's that. And I mean, he, they're only the highest accolades, but I remember being in his chair <laughs> and he was sort of like pushing my jaw all over the place and whatnot. And I just wonder if maybe it's like the line is sort of like the love is there and it's unconditional. So it's like, if I have to give you tough love, or if you have to wait in the examining room for three hours and 25 minutes, like, <laughs> suck it up, buttercup? I don't know. I mean, listen, I can't speak for your dad, right? But I've (laughs) got to imagine, and this is why we probably shouldn't ever work on anybody that's related to us. I'm sure you pissed him off a couple of times in your life. This was his opportunity where he had, you know, your undivided attention. You could go nowhere and he could get back at you. And maybe that was, I don't, I don't think it's in your dad's nature or character, but It does bring up a point, you know, going back a little bit to what I say to my clients about how I'm not the expert here because I don't want them to ever have white coat syndrome with me. That's the antithesis of what therapy is supposed to be. But my science isn't black or white, right? Mm -hmm. There are some medicines and or medicines isn't really the right word. There are some practices. Well, diagnoses. Right, right. There's are black and white. And even in my diagnoses of the DSM, they have criteria But what we often find is that some of those criteria need to be updated because they don't take into account a lot of other factors. And so by me telling people that I'm not the expert of their life, I automatically give them some power that a lot of doctors, when they walk in thinking that they're godlike, kind of take this um, role now where there is an expert to a, you know, a patient. I don't have that because that's not what therapy really should be. 
And it's also a microcosm of what's happening out in the real world, right? So by me saying to them, you're the expert of your life, I'm on the journey with you, and that I might be wrong sometimes, not only does it humanize me, but it allows us the space to have the conversation. Like if I make a mistake, you can come back and share that with me. Because if they're learning how to do that in my office, they're learning how to do it in their real relationship. So for me, it's a therapeutic thing not to say I don't know what I'm doing, right? That's because you put that out to the world. I'm like, I'm really not the expert, right? But there is some clinical value in that, right? What happens is these doctors come in and they forget that the relationship has so much to do with people feeling better or people feeling healthier. And so they come in like a bull in a china shop. And these people like you and I walk out of there feeling unheard and um, resentful and were angry that they haven't come up with a diagnosis or they treated us like crap or they made us wait in a, in a freezer for three hours, right? And what does it do? It makes us not want to go back there. If these doctors would spend some time building the relationship and having good bedside manner, I think a lot of times when somebody can't diagnose you or can't fix it on the first try or, you know, isn't 100% sure, we're more likely as patients to have patience and mm -hmm. to work with them and appreciate that they're trying to do, they're not superhuman and they're not all-knowing. So we have to work with them a little bit and we'll be more tolerant. I'm just kind of saying that because I think that's missed sometimes in medical school. And then we're the recipients of it. I imagine if we asked our audience, Every single one of them has a relationship with a doctor or has been a, with a, re, a doctor who has had terrible bedside manner, who came as the most recommended doctor in the town that they live in or in the state that they're from. I don't care if you're the most recommended doctor. If I don't feel comfortable with you, I'm not having you open me up. I'm not having you work on me. And I feel very strongly about that. Look, you just said a lot. And yeah, as you were talking, there were some things that I was like, yes, I totally agree with this. As you kept going, I could see where a doctor would take the other stance. And so I, I just sort of want to cover my basis here. On the one hand, I do love the idea that doctors are experts in their field. And yeah, you can play well, actually, you can't play God, but you can have that aura of expertise mm -hmm. 100% because that's what you went to medical school for. And you goddamn right, you better know what you're talking about if I'm going to let you examine and I'm putting my faith in you as to helping to solve whatever my medical issue is. That's number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, though, there is a way to be the expert in your field without being a complete douchebag in your field, right? Yes. And that's where that bedside manner mm -hmm. comes into play. There's time and time again, I have heard in scenarios that I've had in my own world and then from just people in my life and stories that I've heard over the course of time where, oh, he or she is excellent in what they do, but they mm -hmm. have no bedside manner. And I'm wondering, this is two-pronged, okay? On the one hand, to defend the doctor, I wonder if because in today's world, in order to desensitize yourself from the outcome of the patient, to not get so attached mm -hmm. in the sense that now the patient's problems and medical issues become you, yours, doctor's mm -hmm. issues, right? That you have to detach, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where the lack of a bedside matter would come in. Or if they're just total assholes and they just don't want to. Maybe it's like the, you know, the old school way where like the doctor would come with their medical bag to your home yeah. and they were part of the family. I mean, I, this is probably before our time, but like maybe there's just got to be a happy medium. Well, and I think, listen, insurance, managed care, companies taking over these small private practices. Yes, it's like lawyers, billable hours, right? Mm -hmm. And we're going to keep charging. We're just going to keep every phone call, every this, every this. Yeah. And even my field, you know, psychiatry, not psychology, but psychiatry used to be they did therapy as well as wrote prescriptions. A lot of them don't anymore or they do very little therapy because they want to do 15 minute slots for med management because that's what they're getting reimbursed at the higher right. rate. Right. No, yeah. I right. Get it. Look, and it's so, all part of a big right. wheel. And it's absolutely. Just a cog in the wheel. Yeah. Absolutely. But I do believe, yes, you are correct. We have to find the happy medium. However, 
you know, even technology has become a big thing. Like how many times are you in the office and they're typing on their laptop while they're talking to you, not making any eye contact with you? And I'm like, are you kidding me? I don't care how great you are. I don't care if you are the best. I have to be able to relate to the person that I'm, maybe I'm biased and audience, you can chime in at any time. Maybe I'm biased because I believe the curative factor in therapy is the relationship because my patients aren't going to open up to me if they don't trust me and they don't feel that way towards me. If I walked in haughty and obnoxious, but I also believe that there is a way to detach without being a douche, right? You can compartmentalize when you leave. You can do your own process afterwards, whether it's with a therapist or we had Karen on here many weeks ago and she said, you know, I light the candle, I blow the candle out. That is my way. I go out, right? I leave for the day. I leave it in the office. There are many, many ways that you can detach without being rude and dismissive because people want to be heard, especially when they're in their most vulnerable moments. And that's when we're sick. I know. And that's why I've left certain practices over the course of time. Because if I just feel like it's a cattle call where I'm there on time, because we all know that I'm structured to time, right? Mm -hmm. Get there on time. And by me on time is getting there early, but then they're running so unbelievably late that now I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting in the waiting room. Then you finally like cross over. You think you're like making some traction because you're now through the (laughs) gates, right? And now you're in the room and like naked, right? Mm -hmm. But now you're you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. And then they come in and it's literally like they're in and out. And like, you didn't even yeah. realize it was like breeze. Were, were in. It was so like a breeze. Yeah. Like, you know what? On the other hand, I don't know that the unbelievable feeling of the, oh my God, wow, they took so much time with me. They covered every bait. Like that's so amazing that I don't know that that should be glorified because isn't that how it should be? That like, it's almost like, why am I over rewarding someone for like just doing their job? Now I'm likening it to something that like is totally not apples to apples, but it's like, if you go to a restaurant and the waitress like gets your order, right? Right. And like, you're so amazed that like, (laughs) oh my God, this is going to reflect in the tip. Like why? Like they had one job to do. And we've talked about that. Yes. So if a doctor comes in and we're making eye contact and they're spending time and I'm able to go over everything from soup to nuts, because let's call it what it is. If it's only like a once a year appointment, like I got to get it all in now. And you don't want to feel as, I mean, look, we're not bearing our deep, dark secrets here and, you know, spending seven hours together, but like you do want to feel as though you're getting more than just the glance over. Right. That you're heard. Have you ever been in a scenario where now you've waited a long time for this coveted ap- appointment. And I don't mean literal waiting, like in the waiting room and, and in the examining room. I mean, get in the day that you make the yeah. appointment and the day you actually have the appointment, mm-hmm. months and months and months and months have gone by. Okay. Absolutely. Now you finally show up, right? You're like the Taj Mahal of appointments. Okay. And I, at least this has happened to me. Oh, Dr. So-and-so isn't here today. So you're going to be seen by physicians in line, right? The the PA. (laughs) And like, with all due respect to the PAs in the world, okay? Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like I waited eight months for this appointment and now he doesn't even have, and you should pardon the expression, the audacity (laughs) to show up for said appointment that now I get like number two in command. Like, what is that all about? It is really a shame what has happened to our medical world right now. And we should have gotten a phone call that the doctor's out of there. And then we can make a choice whether to come back another day. And you're going to put me at the top of the next list, right, to get me back in or that I agree to see the physician's assistant, not when you have me tied into the room. And now Uh I'm... You know, I have waited, right. And I've waited this long <laughs> Gee, for it. You look different, Dr. So-and-so. Well, as a matter of fact, I'm not Dr. So-and-so. Exactly. I mean, I, I think there's still patient rights here, right? And kindness that you can call them on the phone and say, you know, this person's out. We see that you've been on the books for a while. We're going to put you right back in his first time. You know what? I want to run some of these medical offices. Like I want to explain to them. Oh my God. You have to leave such a better job. Well, and you have to leave some space for that emergency that's going to call. You have to leave time and the, you know, for this and you have to be able to respond to phone calls or Uh or you're going to give that to your physician's assistant or your MA. And then you are going to spend, if you think that 15 minutes is what you're supposed to spend, then you are going to figure out a way to make sure that that 15 minutes is one where your patient feels heard and maybe just maybe you don't have to triple book. 
Or how about this? I'm coming at it from so many different angles because in the defense of the doctor, though, if there actually is a doctor that does sit down in today's Mm -hmm. world and takes the time to do what needs to be done to make you feel seen and heard without feeling rushed, my guess is they are always running late. Right. And they're always busy, right? So there's got to be a way, though, to account for that. And again, we live in a world now where it's all a cattle call that you're looking for that high volume for whatever the insurance is. My dad Mm -hmm. used to talk to me about, I think it's something called like capitation where you get a discount on volume or something like that. I want to also be sensitive to the other side of the coin. Sure. I don't know how we all went. I want to tell you one other scenario where... This is a true story, and I've told it several times, maybe not on the podcast, but I remember it like yesterday because it really speaks to you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. In the in this scenario, it wasn't the doctor that I was firing, okay? It was the staff was so horrible mm, yeah. that I had no choice but to fire the practice. Sure. And the dialogue, th- this doctor was so unbelievably amazing. Okay. We had had a consultation about something. And again, this goes back several years and and she was absolutely lovely. And it was a female doctor. And we had bonded over the fact that, you know, I was a professional at the time and she was a professional. And this was about children and like how you navigate your way and so on and so forth. And the long and the short is that her staff was so insensitive to Mm -hmm. me as a potential patient that I fired them before we even got going. Now, the kudos I will give to the physician is that she called me. Wow. That's big. Yep. It was huge. And she said, oh my God, did I misread something? I thought that we connected and we sort of hurt each other. And I was so surprised to hear that you were leaving before you were even starting. (laughs) And I said to her, first of all, I love that you're even calling and and I want to thank you for that. Number two, you didn't misread our interaction. You were fantastic. And I felt seen and heard. And I felt that we could have had a a wonderful patient doctor relationship, Mm -hmm. but I have to be true to myself. And I want to be honest with you. What had happened outside of our conversation at your front desk? It's not my first rodeo in the sense of what goes on with doctor's offices. And I know for the course of time that I would be your patient. I would be dealing with your support staff likely Mm -hmm. more than with you. And I know myself enough to know what my strengths are and what my weaknesses are. And this is not going to work. They were so abrasive and so demeaning that I'm too sensitive of a person in, in this juncture of my life with this scenario that it's, it's going to be like oil and water. And you know what she said to me? First of all, she thanked me mm-hmm. for my honesty. Yeah. Okay. And being candid with her. Number two, she said, I was not the first person. Yeah. That's usually what happens. Tell Say her something. that information. Number three, I, I had since heard down the road that, you know, things had changed in the practice, but the writing was on the wall. And I just knew to cut my losses before we even got started. And I hear that. I mean, I I work with a lot of doctors and more often than not, the best doctors struggle with their front office staff. And it's interesting. And I can speak from this from experience. It's kind of like in business when you take your top salesperson and you make them a manager. Mm -hmm. A lot of people when they come out of medical school have never had a business class ever. They have not a clue how to run an office. And so they are so dependent on their front office staff and particularly their office manager. And if that goes awry or they have their own unresolved Mm -hmm. issues, meaning the doctor, right, Mm -hmm. and doesn't and feels like they can't, this person is doing everything or they can't talk back to the office manager, the office manager rules the roost or the office managers can't do their job, but they're afraid to confront them. That taints the entire experience and the reputation of the doctor who might be the absolute best doctor and have the bedside manner and be educated and be knowledgeable. They can't function. They need that front office staff and they are 
the first impression. It's like the yeah. invitation to they the wedding. Are. Well, yeah. And I say, you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. Absolutely. And that is what I said to her. And as much as I really, really felt safe, I don't Huge. use those words loosely, but that completely fell by the wayside with the lack of safety and sense of support that I knew I was going to need by the people that were her team. Again, you're only as strong as your weakest link. Absolutely. And thanks, but no thanks. So I had an experience where I got fired by a physical therapist. <laughs> I love when you say it. It's just funny to me. When I got when I got fired. When I got fired by a physical therapist, it was not for me being a difficult patient. It was that my symptoms didn't really make sense. Mm-hmm. And they wanted me to take it to a medical doctor so that they right. could determine, you know, what was going on. And so in the course of going through the maze of trying to figure out, and this is an ongoing issue for me, it's like, okay, so you have a problem, you have pain in your abdomen with a little bit of a mark. Do you go to the, you know, and I'm making this up because I'm so bad at telling stories, but which doctor do you go to? Do you go to the dermatologist? Do you go to the OBGYN? Do you go to your internist who's only going to refer you to someplace? It's like there are certain places on your body and certain things that happen that you don't know. Do you go to... It's like obsolete. You're not really sure. Right. You're not sure. So you go somewhere, right? So I got fired by the PT. So I was like, oh, well, do I go to a neurologist? Do I go to a physiatrist? Do I go to uh, orthopedist? Like, you know, this is all nerve and spine related. Like, who do I go to? So I reached out to a physical therapist friend of mine who lives out of state, and they said, you should go to a physiatrist. Let's get to the underlying cause. And I was like, great. And to our listeners who they don't know who a physiatrist is, they're oftentimes associated as pain management doctors. But A true physiatrist will look at the whole skeletal unit and try to figure out what the underlying cause is without rushing into surgery. So they tend to be... A physiatrist, is that PH? Yes, yes, physiatrist. And they try to get you to the root cause. And then they determine, like, can that root cause be through pain management of an injection? Could that be through PT, orthopedist? Do you need surgery or what have you? Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm going to go to a physiatrist. My friends are like, why aren't you going to the orthopedist or the neurologist? But you go to the physiatrist. Fine. I go to the physiatrist. And okay, I'm sorry. I live in South Florida. I went through them. I looked at some of their reviews. I called three of them, I, whoever looked like they had the greatest name. And whoever got back to me first and could get me in is the person that I went to. So I go there. And oh, gosh. So I said to the, <laughs> if I say this. Well, well, I said to the physiatrist. A physiatrist I, and, a, and a therapist walk into your room. <laughs> it's a joke somewhere, right? And the staff was lovely. So we got past that. They took me right away. I just literally, it was the first and I had just gotten my new insurance card. So I mm-hmm. brought all the documentation with me. I gave them the number to call in case it hadn't transferred over. Like I did all my due diligence, 20 pages of paperwork, all done. I submitted it ahead of time. Walk in. It's never a good sign. The doctor walks in and they're like tilting to the side. And I'm not exaggerating. Their neck is tilting to the side. And I'm like, oh, this might be a problem. Wait, wait, you, is this like a pronoun thing? Or like well, I'm not trying to say, to say like he exactly. Or okay, I, I just, wanted, say, I just yes. want to paint the picture. I'm like, didn't, I'm like, wow, they're very woke in the physiatrist <laughs> world. That wasn't it. That okay, I'm trying to be it. respectful because so we curious. live in a small town, okay. right? Okay, Lovely. it could have been a she, it could have been a hey, we don't know. So interpersonally, lovely, okay? But I walked out of there and I was very direct with them. I am not drug-seeking. I don't want pain medicine. I want to get to the underlying cause of this. If that is what needs to be done, meaning an injection, Mm -hmm. I would maybe think about it. But I don't want pills. I don't want anything. Like I was very clear because they see a lot of people who are pill searching, right? Mm -hmm. That's what, because it's pain management. It was very clear, set my boundaries, blah, blah, blah. I said, I really want to understand this. I came with my MRI results. By the way, I came with a disc. And apparently, the MRI place gives it to you on the disc. None of the doctors have a disc player, like maybe Mm. two of them. Okay, so they're like, that's useless to me. I'm like, great. It's useless to me, too. So he reads the report. He goes, there's nothing in this report. This is like a terrible report. Shows it to his little student that's sitting there. What do you think? Terrible report. I said, listen, these are where my pains are. I have a pain here, a pain here, and a pain here. And you know what he says to me? He says, yeah, you have three different issues. None of them are related to each other. I said, "Uh uh-huh. 
So can you help me make sense of this? He goes, there's no way to make sense. You must have heard this. You must have heard this. And you must have heard this. And I said, okay. And at this point, like, I want to, I have tears, like, starting to form in my eyes. I'm like, you and you are know not, when, like, you probably already know, you know what? This is not going to, this is not going to, not getting married it's like a, here. It's like the first it's date. It's not going to, right. It's this a bad is, first date. I'm out. How do I get the check and just get out the door? Yeah. I'm right? thinking your neck is to the side. So, like, we probably should have worked on that first. Yeah. Right? It, well, it's like you wouldn't go to a personal trainer who's like a big fat out of shape. Right. Out of shape. Right? Right? But I, I excuse that. I was like, such a lovely person. But I'm like, I'm coming here to understand how these three things are related because this is my skeletal body. I share one body. I understand that like they may not have all happened at the same time, but they've got to be connected in some way. There's compensation. There is, you know, when you're weak in one area, you may be using something else, whatever, whatever. I said, so what can I do for this? Like I'm asking him the questions here. He goes, you can take, what is that (laughs) supplement? Like curcumin, curcumin, I don't know what it's called. It's like... Cumin? No, it's not cumin because that's the spice, but there is like a cumin or something that is very holistic in the yoga places and the nutrition people, they tell you to take it. It's like, it's supposed to be good for joint recovery. And I said, okay. And I said, physical therapy? He goes, no. He's like, come back if you want an injection at another time. Collagen? No, not collagen. Are you Googling for this? Yeah, I'm like, wait, I'm like, I want to try to get it It's like, what's curcumin? It's not curcumin, but it's coumarin. It's something like that. I mean, if I knew what it was called, I would tell you, but I really don't. I had heard about it. People talk about it. Wait a minute. I think, oh, turmeric? I think it's turmeric. It might have been turmeric. Yes. See, okay, so here we go. And and to the listeners out there, I, I'm not a prophet. <laughs> oh, it's called the Google. <laughs> um, and turmeric, I have turmeric. I just happen to know just because yes. this is something I know about. It does help reduce inflammation. But I didn't know, like, I guess the long name for it is turmeric pure cumin. C-U-R-C-U-M-I-N. So Thank there you go. You. We have solved the mystery. It wasn't totally crazy. Yes. And I said, and that's it. And I said, physical therapy can go back to lifting weights. I go, are you understanding that I cannot lift a weight with my right arm? Oh, we'll just start, you know, from the basics. I'm like, the basics, that would be body weight, body weight, push up. Can't do a push up. And I said, so what am I like, am I ever going to see you again? Like, what's up with that? No, unless you need an injection, I don't need to see you again. So I waited to get into that appointment. I did everything I was supposed to do. I asked all the questions and I walked out of there with zero information. The exact reason I went was never addressed, never identified, told me to take curcumin. Curcumin, turmeric, curcumin. Whatever. And that was it. I was in tears when I left. Talk about the biggest waste of time and money. Thank God they took my insurance. Thank God. Yeah. I was like, you're fired. Bye-bye. So that was my experience of I was fired. I went down the journey found someone, I fired them. And that's where I'm at. I've not resolved this problem. Unbelievable. You know, it's hard when you really are at the mercy of someone who really you need, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the emotional piece comes into it because you feel helpless. You don't feel as though there's any type of equality here. You're coming in so vulnerable and you're looking for someone who according to, you know, all the letters after their name and all of the degrees on the wall, just by the nature of that alone, you would think like, this is someone that's going to know how to help me. And it's going to be their pleasure to boot because that's their job. Right. And to me, I'm like, I'm not the most complicated person. This is not their first rodeo. They should be able to say this, this, and this equals this most likely. And if it's not this, then we are going to have to do this test. And if we have to do this, it's like one of those little diagrams that say yes and no, right? And if it's not this, and if it's a no, then we're going to go over here and rule this out. And if it's not that, we're going to go to the this. And if it's a yes, we're going to stop here. And this is our diagnosis. And it's just, it's mind blowing to me. I want to ask you one other question. And I know we're getting long-winded, so we're going to wrap it up. But my last question to you in terms of like getting fired or firing someone else is what about like the subtle getting fired and or like the silent fire? And what I mean by that is- Like ghosting? Kind of like, yeah, like I've had a few scenarios when I am in a doctor's office and I've been going for a while for whatever the reason. It could be chiropractor. It could be therapy. It could be- 
I don't know, you name it, right? Mm -hmm. And you have a rapport now, right? With whether it's the doctor, the PA, the staff, et cetera, okay? And then for whatever the reasons are, maybe life gets in the way, but like now you've kind of fallen out and it's my fault that I haven't made another appointment for whatever the reasons may be. And then you kind of realize it's like, wait a minute, they haven't reached out to me either. Mm -hmm. So how important could I possibly be that I know in a perfect world, you know, people get busy and whatever, and you know, it, it is what it is. But sometimes I do think about that that like, if I do call, let's say, and they're like, oh, we were just thinking about you. Like, no, you weren't. Because if you were, <laughs> wouldn't you have called me? Or wouldn't I have gotten that little postcard that says, hey, it's been a while. We haven't seen you. And I don't know, like, do people not want to send mail anymore? Or they're saving money on stamps? Or they're doing it differently, which by doing it differently means they're not doing not anything. Doing <laughs> like, what is your thoughts on that? That like, you just sort of fall off the roster and like, no one cares about you anymore? So I think it depends on the, again, on the field, because as a therapist, I don't see hundreds and hundreds of patients, right? I do think that, again, it's the relationship. And I try, depending on the individual, and I want, if any of my patients are listening, it's not, do I like the individual or not like the individual? I have to look at what is their presenting issue and how do they manifest avoidance and relationships in their life, mm -hmm. right? And so for some, if one of the things that we're working on is them being more organized and taking responsibility for themselves, me reaching out enables that process for them not to do it. I'm okay. rescuing them, right? Okay. I still will do it mostly for everybody, but I, I span out how long it's going to take because we are taught in our field that we can't work harder than our patient does. That's just not how therapy really works. The patient has to be invested and work towards their growth and health, right? Right. So I have to consciously think about what's in the best interest of the patient and every decision that I make as a clinician is supposed to be coming from what's in the best interest in the service of my patient, not my own service. However, then you have insurance for those therapists who take it and also malpractice that says we do have to follow up with our patients and give them three opportunities to come back and then we can close the chart or we need to at least get some clarification that they're not interested. Right. Now, not every therapist does that. And, you know, if they get audited, that's, that sucks for them. So it, it's a little more complicated yeah. in my mind in therapy. But every office is supposed to have some closure with the patient because they need to know whether or not to close the chart. They just are so inundated with thousands and thousands of people that we've lost that intimacy. Yeah, in you've lost the personal touch because it's lost, like it's like they're it. chop chops. And yep. that's what's frustrating. And you know, the other thing, and I think we've talked about this in a different context, it's like you want to share. Some people don't want to share good information because they want to keep it to themselves. Mm -hmm. But I'm the type of person that like if I find something great, it's like you want to share it with those that you care about, right? But I guess sometimes what's good for the goose isn't good for the gander because now let's say you find like this coveted doctor who's so wonderful and takes right. so much of their time and attention. It makes you feel like a million bucks and all of your concerns are being addressed. Then you want to like share that with the other people. Oh my God, no, the best doctor. No, but but no. then you don't because then that best doctor becomes cool. is getting spread so thin and yep. then like they're not so the best anymore. And it's I just it's like this vicious cycle. But yep. then I can't stand people who don't want to share good information. And that even goes down to like, I know people who won't share the name of their handyman because the handyman gets so busy. And by sharing that information, they then are lower the on bottom. the totem pole. And right. then it's, you know, it's, it, listen, I, we well, could go on and on and on, but you get the gist. And part of the reason, and it's funny because this is what different strokes, different folks, right? Because I don't share the information all the time, not because I care where my place is on the line, because usually, but if I'm sharing it, they're getting all these referrals from me. They're going to make me a priority, right? But I don't share it because in this day and age, everybody hates people. Like everybody will call you and blame you. That was the worst doctor. How could you go to that nut job? Right, How could right. he was such an asshole? Look, I did it with my dad's friend, right? Yeah. And my boyfriend at the time thought he was great and felt yeah. terrible that I was going to him. So I'm scared to give referrals sometimes, you know, and that's why I went in clinically. I have my people that I refer to and I always give or try to give three names because I want them to have the opportunity if I'm referring them someplace, even if I don't even know the people, I want them to have like like a smorgasbord of people to choose from because 
people like different things and they have preferences for whatever. And I want them to have options because I don't want them to come back and say, what the hell is wrong with you that you you think that little of me that you would send them to such a vicious person? So it goes both ways. Absolutely. It's interesting. And it's really food for thought. I'm going to leave it at that. And I wonder, we're going to throw it out to the listeners that if you have had scenarios in your life where you felt as though you were maybe slighted by your doctor, we definitely want to hear those stories. Without names. Right. No, no names. We don't have, we can keep the names out of it. And if you yourself have felt as though a doctor is just not what you thought you were signing up for, and you had to ask for your file back or you flat out fired them, we want to hear it too. I guess it is more universal than we think. So it's kind of fun to kind of go back in history and and talk about old stories where we either were the firer or the firee and how we've managed that on a go forward. So please reach out to us. You know how to find us. You can email at unpolishedtherapy at gmail.com. And of course, Facebook and Instagram at unpolished therapy. Dr. Boca, do you want to have final thoughts? Because I feel like you've got another doctor thing you want to say. No, I don't have any doctor thing I want to say. I just want to put it out to our audience. Of course, if you're listening and you know anybody who can take all of my skeletal issues and you have a recommendation for me, whether it's a doctor or some other supplement or, I mean, I do have a chiropractor that I love and I have a massage therapist that I love. But if there's anybody else that you can throw out there, I am willing to try anything. And I also want to say the word of the day. What is the name of the doctor that you went to? A physiatrist. Oh, a physiatrist. So if I've learned nothing today, I have (laughs) learned that there is a medical degree in, what is it again? I forgot. Physiatry. Physiatry. That's one. I'm going to look up that up in the urban dictionary because I don't even know that I believe that that's a real thing. But if Dr. Boca says it, it must be true. So I'm going to go. No, not the white coat syndrome. Not everything (laughs) I say is true. Blanket statement, blanket statement. (laughs) There you go. On that note, I am going to get ready for my doctor's appointment now on this Wednesday morning. So let's hope that I do well at the doctor's office and the time that we have slated is the time that they take me and I'm not stuck in a room for hours on end, freezing my ass off naked. How about that? We'll end on that note, right? We will pray for you. (laughs) All right. Well, everyone have a wonderful week. We will see you next time on the corner of Audacity and Advice, where our wheels and yours get spun upside down. Of course, I am Rachel Silver Cohen, together with the one and only Dr. Boca. And this has been another episode of Unpolished Therapy. Have a good one, everyone. Great sesh, girls. Hey, everyone, like what you heard? Then don't miss out on what comes next. Subscribe now and please give the girls a five-star rating. Learn more at www.unpolishedtherapy.com. Find and like them on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll see you next week when Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca ditch the couch, grab the mic, and break down all the wreckage. <laughs>